Scientific studies have proven that lighter weight and more flexible footwear isn't just about comfort, it's about safety. MSA's Globe Superflex boots are state of the science. With unprecedented flexibility and grip, plus athletic footwear construction, Superflex performs like a boot but feels like a sneaker. Globe, athletic gear for firefighters. Get the full story at msafire.com slash globe. One. Hello and welcome to Today on Firehouse, episode number six. I'm Peter Matthews, the editor of Firehouse. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're excited to have our two guests today from the Illinois Fire Service Institute, which has been a good partner of Firehouse over the last few years. Uh, today we have Director Royal Mortensen and Deputy Director of Research Programs, Richard Kessler. And they'll be talking about the state of Illinois' new exposure reduction project. Uh, before we get to uh, Director Mortensen and Richard, we're going to just uh, say thank you to MSA and GLOBE for their continued support uh, of firefighter safety by sponsoring this podcast. We really appreciate that. Um, so thank you to the folks at MSA GLOBE. Um, Director Mortensen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us uh, today. And um, we're excited to have you. I know you've keynoted Firehouse Expo in the past, and, and you've been a, a good friend to Firehouse throughout the research projects that we've been involved with with IFSI. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? You have a very unique background um, in the military before you joined the Institute. So can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Uh, absolutely, Pete. And thank you for right up front. Thank you for the opportunity of being part of this forum. Uh, and, and it's not just a uh, great for us, but we're glad and very proud to continue the relationship that we have with Firehouse uh, in this method as well. Um, yeah, you're right. I do have a unique background. I uh, have been the director of the Illinois Fire Service Institute, which is the statutory state training organization for Illinois for first responders. Um, I've been the director here since 2012, uh, so basically eight years, um, but I'm not a firefighter and I've never espoused to be. I spent the previous 30 years uh, uh, before I came here uh, as an officer in the United States Marine Corps with 30 years of active duty service, um, you know, around the world. I was I was an infantry officer for 30 years and I retired as a colonel. So one would you'd want to ask yourself what the heck is a Marine infantry officer doing running one of the premier state fire training organizations in the country um, when he's not a firefighter? And and what I can only tell you is that um, as a Marine infantry officer, I'm very familiar with high risk training and high risk education. And at, at the heart of, of first responder, in particular firefighter training, at the at the heart of that training, it is it is a high risk profession, and the training is 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 high risk and high impact. So with that in mind, I you know I was privileged enough to be able to apply for and come here to the institute in September 2012, um, and you know bring what what knowledge I have on training and education and how to run those kinds of environments and and, and organizationally. Um, and support the fire service. After 30 years in the Marine Corps, um, I lived a life of service, and this opportunity uh, came up, and I would have been remiss if I wouldn't have uh, taken it because I realized very quickly when I left the Marine Corps that I wanted to continue to serve something in some com some way. Um, I wasn't interested in going to work for, you know, Bechtel or General Dynamics. Uh, uh, I, I wanted to continue to serve something in the fire service and the community connection there um, is what drew me to it, um, and I, you know, enjoy what I do every day. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you found a second home, and, and with the institute, it's a great place. And you know, we'll learn a little bit more about the institute later on in the podcast. And 
Actually, I'd also like to talk about a little bit of the uh, similarities that you see between the fire service and the military. I know right now, you know, Jocko Wilnick and some of those other guys are, are folks that the fire service is really looking at. They're hungry to learn about adapting the principles of the fire, I'm sorry, the military into the fire service. So we can touch on that a little bit later on too, if sure. you wouldn't mind. Um, okay, well, great, thank you. And then uh, Richard Kessler, Richard, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at the Institute. Absolutely, uh, and to echo the words of uh, Director Mortensen, yeah, thanks for having us on. Uh, we've had a great working relationship with Firehouse. Um, the, the studies that we'll talk about here in a little bit that some of this um, preliminary exposure reduction project is based on. You know, we've been, been fortunate to partner with Firehouse on some of the, the supplements we've developed to get that information out to firefighters. So um, as mentioned, my name is Richard Kessler, Deputy Director of Research Programs here at the Institute. I've been here for going on uh, seven years as a staff staff member, but a couple years before that as a student working on my um, my master's. So my background's in bioengineering and biomechanics uh, and recently have gone back to school to work on my PhD in kinesiology. So uh, all focused on how do we uh, improve firefighters' health and safety, focused on how firefighters interact with their environment, uh, the equipment we use, and, and really just how to make firefighters safer. So uh, started out again at IFSI as a student, got hooked, bought into the fire service, uh, and from there went on to join a volunteer fire department, now a lieutenant with the Savoy Fire Department. So very fortunate to get in with the right people at, at IFSI and, and have been hooked since. So you never planned to the... Okay. I'm sorry, Pete, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so Richard, it sounded like you never planned the path of the fire service, but everything's kind of come full circle for you at this point. Exactly. Yeah, I have um, I have some distant relatives in the fire service um, and grew up with some association with it, uh, but didn't uh, see that as my career path while in school. Um, but once I got into it, um, like I said, the the rest is history from there. So um, been really fortunate to to be a part of the institute and and be involved with everything going on. Right. Great. Well, I'm glad I'm glad everything has kind of worked out and. The perspective that you've got from both sides of the table certainly helps out and everything. And like you mentioned, the, the different supplements that we put together over the years, uh, the amount of research that IFSI has been involved with has just been incredible. Um, not only a host site uh, for the research, but but your team there has just been an incredible asset to uh, looking into so many of these different topics going on in the fire services. We try to increase the firefighter health and safety. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, that's one of our biggest missions is we need to get the information uh, in the hands of those who need it. So everything um, from our research perspectives goes through the peer-reviewed process, uh, which is the, the standard academic way of getting research out there. Um, it's peer-reviewed, published in manuscripts, um, but really to get it in the hands of firefighters takes a little bit of a different route, and that's where those supplements um, really come into into play things like online training programs, um, the clarity programs to to get that information where it needs to be so that it can be implemented on the fire ground and and make firefighters safer. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for continuing to work with us on that. And and this podcast is now an extension of of all those efforts with this new program going on. So, <laughs> absolutely. Um, 
Director Morrison, can you tell us a little bit about the preliminary exposure reduction project in Illinois? And, and while this is specific to the state, it, it, it can be carried over throughout the country. But if you can kind of tell us how the program is developed in the state, uh, we, can, we can kind of start from there. Absolutely, Pete. Um, and you, your point is absolutely well taken, and it, and it lies at the spirit and the, heart and the heart of this exposure reduction project, and that is it can be replicated anywhere. Um, and and should be replicated. Uh, this initiative be began a uh, little over a year ago with the discussions with uh, Chief Matt Perez, the, our, our state fire marshal, and and other professionals in the in the uh, fire service here in Illinois. And obviously, their thought processes here in Illinois, in particular, are stimulated by the kind of research that IFSI does. You know, I would argue that that you know the risk mitigation associated with the the cardiovascular, the, the carcinogenic effects studies, the heat studies, the equipment studies, all the life safety research that has been going on here at, at the Institute for, for nearly 20 years or over 20 years. Um, I think our, our fire service in this state thinks in those terms. Um, I think, and that's, that's a credit to the Institute and obviously people that came well before Richard and I, and some of them are still involved with the program. But the fire marshal saw an opportunity to uh, garner, to get money, state money, a grant, if you will, to us uh, to uh, put together this project. And, and really, at, at its heart is the basic uh, gross decon kinds of things you can do uh, before leaving the, the, the fire scene um, and, the, and the equipment, and I mean very rudimentary equipment, uh, inexpensive, uh, things you can do to reduce the risk of the particulate matter and the carcinogenic materials that, that you get on your, your PPE uh, during, during an incident scene. And obviously, Richard uh, will talk in much greater detail to that. But that's how it all began. It began as a conversation. It began of how can we, how can we address this? How can we make it more uh, uh, understandable and usable uh, at the lowest level. Yeah, we can talk our ears off at every conference in the state about gross decon and, and, and you know, how you take off your hood or best way to take off your gloves. But can we put together um, online learning to demonstrate the proper ways to do it and then make available uh, to fire departments across the entire state the training videos and then the gear the equipment, and again, very rudimentary, to be put on every apparatus so that they can, in fact, do it. And, um, and how can we track that? It was never intended to uh, outfit every apparatus, every truck, every fire engine, and every fire department in the state with 100% of everything they need forever. Um, it is so basic in nature, in my view, uh, and easy to implement that I doubt very seriously there is even any department in this state that wouldn't be able to put into their budget, um, you know, five gallon buckets, 50 feet of hose and some scrub brushes and, 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 uh, you know, and, and dish soap. And of course, a few other things. Um, we're not talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars for departments to invest. It's very, very cost effective, but yet extremely effective in the decon process. And, and that's how it all started. The fire marshal was able to get that money. We were able to partner with uh, our Mavis Illinois, which is uh, our mutual aid box alarm system here, which is very robust in Illinois. 
Chief Glenn Erickson, who's the president and CEO of that, um, and then the other fire service agencies, but uh, supported it. But really, the fire marshal, Mabus, IFSI, IFSI Research and Internal, really worked together over the last year uh, to, to bring this together, develop the training, get the gear, and then eventually have Mabus is going to be the distribution means to be use their network to get the gear into the hands of the departments and the personnel, the training officers that have taken the training. We're going to be very proactive in our ability to be able to track what departments and who has taken the training. So you just can't get the equipment. You actually have to go through the online video training. Um, but that's how it all started. Um, and uh, Richard has been, I, I, I assigned Richard to be the, the, uh, the lead of this project for the state of Illinois. And he has, he has led a multi-agency uh, statewide effort to bring this together over the last 10 months that is extremely noteworthy. Well, great. Well, thank you, Dr. Mortensen, and, and I appreciate the background on that. So you mentioned tracking. Uh, is this something that's being done, or are, are you looking for departments to track or respond back to how much of the equipment they've used during fire, uh, post-fire decon and stuff like that, or, or is it related not, to something not, else in the program? Not as part of this initial project, Pete. Really, when I'm talking tracking is – um, you know, there is, there's a bucket of gear, right? And it is worth X amount of dollars. Richard will be able to give us the exact amount. Uh, but this overall project was over $300,000 in terms of developmental costs and, and then purchasing of the supplies and, and equipment to, to get to execute it. And I believe we're distributing approximately 3,000 five-gallon buckets with the, with the gear in the buckets for apparatus around the state. But by tracking, I mean... You, you have to go on to the IFSI website. You've got to register as a fire department. You have to fill out basic information and data that you would expect, you know, department, training officer, chief officer, uh, address, emails, so that we know you are who you are. Uh, and then um, once you participate in the online training uh, on how to use the, the, the supplies, uh, you're able to uh, – a field opens up, if you will, to be able to um, register for X number of buckets for however many apparatus you have. Um, you know, I, obviously, it is our intent for this to be starter, a starter project, if you will, because we believe yeah. that departments can do this on their own. Um, and again, it's high impact with low investment in our view. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, Richard, could you tell us about the program and, and, and kind of um, how the research that IFSI has been involved with over the last few years, how that has gone from paper to plastic bucket, for lack of better terms, through getting the process on the road. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So over the last, uh, really the last five years, um, IFSI in a, in a joint partnership with uh, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or NIOSH, and uh, ULFSRI, the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, um, as well as uh, partnership with Skidmore College, have worked together to really try to understand this uh, issue of cardiovascular and chemical exposure risks uh, in the fire service. So uh, we started initially um, looking at a what we call our fire ground study, uh, where firefighters responded to a real-world um, as real as we could get, fully furnished house, real fuels, um, and did real runs at that fire. Uh, and we looked at 
the level of exposure uh, that the firefighters had uh, in the atmosphere around the building, the uh, amount of contaminant that was on the firefighters' gear, what was uh, inside the gear on the skin, and then ultimately what was metabolized in the body. And on top of that, we did a uh, full physiological workup uh, measuring heart rate, core temperature, skin temperature, all these assessments to try to understand the risks that the firefighters face um, in, a, in a, as real of an environment as we can get for research purposes. Uh, and as a part of that, what we did is we looked at these different decontamination techniques. So we used uh, three different techniques. Uh, one, a modified, uh, basically a modified leaf blower to try to see if we could blow contaminant um, off of the gear. The second, using a, a dry brush to try to remove contaminant. And then the third is the, the wet soap and brush uh, technique that we talk about in the training. And what we found is that that soap and brush was able to remove a median of 85% of the uh, surface PAHs, the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, uh, which, are, which are known carcinogens. So um, what we wanted to do is, is take that research, um, those findings, again, go through the entire peer-reviewed process, um, in fact, that, that paper that's been uh, published since 2017 is the, the most read journal article um, from that article or the, uh, the journal where that's published. And, and that's really quite a testament to how interested the, the fire service is, right, in getting this information. Um, but from there, you know, really taking it and, and not just telling firefighters this is the best way to do it, but showing them the step-by-step -step means to do it, um, and then in this partnership with OSFM, being able to give them the initial groundwork to do that decon. Um, what what we have in the bucket, it's it's really about a hundred dollars worth of equipment. Um, you've got the bucket, you've got section of garden hose, uh, one and a half inch to to garden hose reducer. You got your nozzle, um, some unscented baby wipes, uh, clear trash bags. A spray bottle, your uh, your detergent, and then a scrub brush, and that's really all it is. Um, most departments probably have a majority of this equipment already in their station. We're just packaging it in a in a neat way that can be put in a compartment on the apparatus uh, and is available right there on scene after the incident. So that's that's really how we've taken this uh, initial study and and tried to put it on the streets. Great, thank you. Uh, um, so, as far as getting the the product or the the product out, um, again, this is specific to Illinois. But uh, how is it being distributed to all the different departments? And then, what is the training uh, that goes along with it? I know Director Mortensen, you know, said earlier on you've got some videos that go with it. But what training are departments receiving on how to implement this program in their own uh, their own area? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we really took kind of a, we call it a three-pillar approach to this training. So uh, there's a series of videos, they're, they're quick hits, um, five to five to eight minutes each. And, and the focus is on, one, the importance of decon. So kind of recapping some of these studies, uh, we've got a great testimonial um, from uh, the director of the uh, Illinois Firefighter Cancer Support Network, Chuck Worley. Uh, gives us a great testimonial, first-hand account of going through cancer in the fire service, 
And then we hit on some of the, the research um, that I just discussed. Then the second pillar, we go through on the fire ground, step by step, where should I set up decon? Uh, how do I go through that process? Uh, what should I do with wipes as far as cleaning the skin and hands and the neck uh, after the incident? And then going into rehab, bagging the gear, taking it back to the station for uh, further cleaning, and then showering. So we go through kind of that step-by-step -step process to get that information um, to the firefighters. And then the third, we had uh, Luke Howison from the, uh, the IAFF talk about the legislation and exposure tracking. So um, Illinois is fortunate to be a presumptive legislation state, uh, but also we've been working with um, Enforce to look at how do we track exposure um, and, and use their app and their um, platform to track future exposures uh, as part of trying to understand the level of exposure in the fire service. So that, that's kind of the pillar. It's the importance of doing decon or preliminary exposure reduction. How do I do it? And then what are the next steps in terms of legislation and, and tracking those exposures? And then once the training is complete, um, that's where our partnership with Mavis Illinois really comes in. They've got a network throughout the state um, they're actually extremely busy right now uh, distributing the, the COVID-19 supplies um, and facilitating that. But they have an amazing network that's extremely efficient at distributing equipment um, and is, is being put perfectly into play, as I said, with the, the COVID situation. But um, relying on them to coordinate that distribution of supplies throughout the state. Okay. And... For the folks from Illinois who are who are listening, uh, is there like a timeline for them as far as what they're going to get to rolled out to them, uh, and and when they can have access to the training? Yeah, the training is live now. It's available through okay. the uh, main IFSI website, uh, fsi.illinois.edu, um, or directly. It's fsi.illinois.edu/decon. Um, the training's live. It's available to anyone in the country um, or internationally even. Um, but again, to actually receive the supplies, um, you have to be a department in the state of Illinois. So um, departments can complete that training. They'll see an option to uh, get my bucket. Once they've completed that training, we ask a few questions um, and then they submit a reservation or a request for the buckets and then coordinate with uh, Mavis to pick those up. So actually today, uh, the first buckets are being distributed. Um, to departments across the state. So the training is on a, a first-come, first-served basis. We have a, a lot of buckets available, about 3,000, as the director mentioned. Um, but once those are gone, um, the training will stay live, the training will stay active, uh, but uh, won't have those supplies available. So first-come, first-served, we encourage departments to get out and complete that uh, as soon as possible. Okay. Great, thank you. And we'll we'll put a link to that on the podcast player page on firehouse.com as well. And again, just to reiterate what you said, um, it's available. The, the training materials are available to, available to anybody in the fire service, not just firefighters firefighters in Illinois. So we want to make sure anybody listening does go to that site, and we will link to that. Um, so the the decon process that that you're recommending, could you kind of walk us through the steps uh, post fire? What what 
the steps are that you're recommending and, and how the equipment will help you achieve that goal? Yeah, definitely. So um, the the number one thing we, we first recommend is that you find a good spot for decon. It needs to be somewhere uh, far enough away from the incident that you're not going to be re-exposed um, if the wind shifts or, um, you know, be, be in the exhaust path of, a, of an apparatus or something like that. So the, the important thing is find a good location, ideally somewhere between the, uh, the hot zone and, and rehab. That way, as firefighters come out of the structure uh, or, or whatever that hot environment is, they move through decon on their way to rehab. Uh, we also encourage them to stay on air. Uh, as you come out of the structure. That avoids exposure to those off-gassing chemicals um, and compounds that are on the outside of the gear. So uh, find a good spot to set up, stay on air, and then the decon crew should first provide uh, a good rinse um, to get any of the loose contaminants off, any of the big chunks, um, drywall, any other uh, debris that might be on the gear. Then spray the gear with a soapy solution. So this is where the Dawn comes in. The, the surfactant in the detergent uh, is great at breaking those connections between the compounds and the gear to loosen it up. Uh, and then uh, scrub the brush, scrub with a brush. So that scrubbing is going to uh, agitate the soap, again, breaking those bonds between the compounds and the gear to loosen everything. And then uh, do a second rinse to remove that soapy solution and wash off all the contaminant. Uh, from there, uh, the firefighter can begin to remove that PPE and head to the um, to the rehab area. So, again, it's coming out, staying on air, an initial rinse, uh, soap solution spray, and then a secondary rinse to remove all the contaminant. Those are really the the big steps. And then, you know, we we always get the question of what if it's what if it's really hot or what if it's um, too cold. What are what are some of the concerns that might prevent me from doing decon and uh, we encourage fire departments to always monitor their firefighters for for dehydration heat stress um, you know make sure that hydration is available as folks are coming out um, if absolutely necessary the firefighter can open their coat uh, to get some cooling immediately after exiting the structure um, and you know really think about what are the limitations of, of weather and the environment and do those risks outweigh the rewards? Um, in a lot of cases, you know, this is a very quick procedure, uh, especially when crews have practiced it and, and are efficient. Um, it can be done very quickly, and that 85% removal of those surface PAHs is, is a is a huge benefit, you know, down the road to get reduce that exposure, reduce the amount of contaminant. Um, on the gear as quickly as possible. So um, definitely take consideration, make sure decon is done in an effective place and in an effective way uh, and, and consider all the risks that might be associated. Great, thank you. And do you want to just review some of the numbers um, about firefighter cancer for the folks who may not have seen if they're, if they're new to the fire service or uh, they may not have seen some of the reports, but um, it's about 10% higher. Uh, right. The diagnosis right. About, uh, is about 10% higher than general public for the fire service. Is that correct? 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the the NIOSH study has shown um, just under 10% increased incidence of uh, cancer for firefighters um, and 14% increased mortality rate. So um, that's across all types of cancers. You know, certain um, certain cancers have a much higher rate. For instance, uh, the incidence of mesothelioma was about 130% increased over the general public. Um, esophageal cancer, 60% increase in incidence. Um, so a huge, there's a connection here, right? We're, that's yeah. no longer a question. Um, and so if we can reduce those incidence rates and, and mortality rates by um, reducing the exposure on the front end, you know, that, that is a huge benefit down the road. Um, other simple things just like remaining on air through the overhaul process, right? Anything we can do to reduce that level of exposure is going to bring these rates down. But, but yeah, about 10% decrease or uh, increase in cancer incidence and 14% increase in mortality uh, across all cancer types. Okay. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Um, and, for both of you, what, what other programs is IFSI working on at this point as far as research? Uh, what what other, um, I guess, projects are you guys working on at this point? I'll let Richard. Richard, you go ahead and handle that one. Okay. Yeah, so um, I mentioned we did our fire ground study uh, with modern fuels. Uh, from there, we looked at uh, training fires. So uh, with different types of fuels, right? Some uh, training facilities use pallets and straw like we do at the Institute here. Um, others incorporate more of the manufactured wood, uh, engineered wood, OSB, things like that. And um, then we looked at a, a training fuel, um, artificial smoke, and, and looked at the level of exposure that a student would have through a single day um, of firefighting activity and an instructor who might go through multiple bouts of, uh, of training in a single day. Uh, from there, we looked at uh, the different ways gear is cleaned. So um, we looked at basic, simple decon techniques and then putting the gear right back in service uh, over the course of 40 exposures. Um, we also took different sets of gear that were just brushed and had no, no soap, no detergent added. Um, and the third condition in that study was to look at laundering the gear um, through a commercial extractor to look at not only uh, how contaminated is the gear, um, does that contamination build up over repeated exposures, but also how does the gear um, mechanically affect it? You know, washing is very, very hard on the gear um, and can cause a level of damage um, beyond just the exposures. So we, we wanted to look at that. Um, from there, we've continued to work with, with GLOBE um, on these partnerships to look at uh, different interfaces. So we've, we've focused a lot on the particulate uh, from the chemical exposure side. And just visually, uh, we know that areas around the interfaces in the gear, the area between the coat and the hood, um, area between the coat and pants, there, there's a high level of contaminant that can get through those openings. So we've been working with GLOBE. Uh, to examine some new types of gear that aim to minimize those. 
uh, levels of exposure. And, and that's actually the study that we're in the midst of now. And uh, as okay. soon as we can get back to, uh, to human subject testing here, we'll, uh, we'll be testing out those new types of gear to try to minimize those differences in the, uh, or those openings in the interfaces. Okay, great. Um, it, it always sounds like the docket is full, um, but it, it's interesting. I, I guess so. As you as you work on one project, and to understand a little bit better, so you, you work on one project and you you find these little, um, I guess variables. I'm not a scientist. Uh, so <laughs> sorry about sorry about that. But you talked about you know these openings, right? So so now is that is that the next component? So is that how kind of some of this this falls into place? Is you find these variables and then you you notice something down the road um, because you've been involved in this project or these projects for so long I guess how do you go from project to project to identify yeah. the the next potential problems uh, or you know places looking for solutions or updates or upgrades right that that's exactly it um, every every study we do um, gets some answers but uh, we usually end up with even more questions uh, and and try to continue to move down the path of you know, answering those most important questions um, for the fire service. So, um, you know, the the cleaning techniques that that absolutely came out of questions from the fire service of, okay, I'm out of the structure. Do I need to, you know, launder my gear? Um, every after every single incident, right? After every single training fire, now, that's a lot of wear and tear on the gear. Um, is that the best practice? Is it best to um, do the on-scene decon and you know what level of exposure um, or how, how much does that reduce my exposure and how what's the wear on the gear for that and what's the buildup of, of contaminant and then as I mentioned as we did all these we you know we recognize that the the level of particulate is very easy to track it can be very visual right you see the the soot on the uh, firefighters' hands around the neck, um, on on the clothing around the the waist where the interface is there, and we've tried to build on that to look at what what other exposure is there, right? Well, the the smoke, the byproducts of combustion are not just solid particulate. We also have uh, benzene and other mm -hmm. volatile organic compounds that that aren't visible. So what how how are those moving around the gear? How are those getting into those interfaces? Uh, and that's really the questions that the type of questions that we're looking at with this current study. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks. And again, this is uh, called the Exposure Reduction Project. It's for the state of Illinois. It's uh, an effort between the Illinois Fire Service Institute um, and uh, Mabus, which is the mutual aid system. So we appreciate both of you joining us to fill us in on that. Um, Richard, is there anything else that we might have missed uh, so far about the program? No, I think we've covered it pretty well. It, the the big thing is to get that training in the hands of firefighters uh, across the country, uh, and then for departments who are in the state of Illinois to get them that kit to get started doing that, um, with the hopes that you know the department will outfit other apparatus, the department will continue to restock those supplies uh, to provide that service on the on the fire scene. Okay, and, and like was mentioned earlier, it's 
it's it's products that you can get from pretty much any place. It's it's nothing special that needs to be ordered online or from a specific vendor, um, which which is good because that can help expand the program after each department gets their initial absolutely uh, equipment. So great. Well, thank you, Richard. Thank you for joining us on that topic. And before we wrap up today, um, Director Mortensen, if you could tell us a little bit more about ISF or IFSI and what it is that that you folks offer. Um, while it is the Illinois uh, Institute, it's also um, you, your efforts are on a nat uh, national basis. Um, you've taught at Firehouse Expo before. Uh, you've had staff down for hot training and other programs. Um, you know, last year at Firehouse Expo, we had you doing some demos on the floor, uh, which which kept people um, at the booth for quite a while as each demo was being done. But can you kind of tell us what what other programs do you folks offer um, for firefighters? not only throughout Illinois, but for other parts of the country. Um, I've seen on your Facebook page that you've been to other states to, to, to deliver training. So can you fill us in on some of that? Uh, absolutely. And, and before I go down that road, Pete, I would like to just comment on something that Richard talked about. Um, and one of the aspects of this research that's really important, and the research that's been going on at IFSI in life safety research for firefighters since 1995, um, there's a residual effect, and, and it's not just changing behavior, it's not just education, but great manufacturers like MSA and Globe, for example, and Globe's been a partner of IFSI since uh, 2011, um, support this research, um, obviously for the reasons that it's the right thing to do. There's no question about that. But another reason that the, the Globe and MSA stay involved, and others stay involved in IFSI's research efforts, because it informs their effort in the manufacturing and development of an evolution of PPE, and and uh, that benefits the fire service from that from the from the manufacturing side of the house uh, on a much more accelerated basis than if they were to do uh, try to do this kind of research or studying on their own by involving themselves with with some place like IFSI, which is partnered with you know UL and 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 great educational institutions and research institutions around the country. They can, it's, it's the flash to bang, if you will, of their ability to provide safer PPE uh, for the fire service is significant. Um, that, that can't get lost in the, in the equation. IFSI, Excellent. as I indicated earlier, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, Pete. Um, IFSI obviously is the state training organization for Illinois, but what you alluded to is absolutely correct. And thank you for giving me the opportunity as we, you know, kind of close down here to address that. Um, IFSI trained over 64,000 students last year uh, from 38 different states and seven different countries. Certainly the largest percentage of those students um, are, are from the state of Illinois, but it's, it, we do impact nation, nationally as well as globally. Uh, IFSI uh, personnel have presented, if you will, and done training uh, and education uh, efforts, not only at major conferences like Firehouse, but internationally at, at, at similar conferences, if you will, uh, on the other side of the world in Hong Kong or Shanghai and places like that. Um, so, so we are much, much more than that. Um, our, our menu, if you will, is extraordinary. Um, it's a great privilege to be part of it. We have over 200 different offerings, um, everything that ranges from, you know, a four, four hour class on how to throw a ladder to a second floor window without hurting your, hurting yourself, uh, to you know, 85 hours, extremely high-end technical rescue kind of training. Uh, much of our training is FEMA certified. Much of it is state certified. We're, we are accredited 
by IFSAC uh, and ProBoard, the two major uh, national and international accrediting agency for uh, fire service first responder training. Um, so we maintain a very dynamic portfolio, if you will, to meet the needs of the fire service. The IFSI mission of training, providing training and education, information and research to help firefighters do their mission is really a well-crafted mission developed many years ago, but it clearly articulates what our focus is. We don't do anything here that doesn't address fire service first responders uh, and, and their needs. I like to say, as it relates to research, for example, uh, we do not do research for research sake, okay? We only do research that directly links to the life, safety, and health of first responders. And whether it's, whether it's health-related, equipment-related, uh, it doesn't matter. If we can translate it into making a firefighter safer and his life better, both before, during, and after his professional uh, time, then, that, then, then we're going we're gonna to partner with somebody and do that kind of research. Um, IFSI is the oldest continuous fire training organization in the country. We've been doing this since 1925, and um, we'll continue to do it. Um, it's very hands-on oriented here. Our, our research is very hands-on oriented for the most part. I think one of the reasons Richard loves being part of research here at IFSI is because he's able to get dirty and on the grounds and, and do the kind of research that doesn't necessarily always involve a lab coat. I'll go out on a limb there, Richard, just to... That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, as long as there's a coat, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the turnout gear counts. Yeah, absolutely it does. And and so our training and our research acknowledges the fact that uh, firefighting is a hands-on profession that re requires people to get, you know, knee-deep in it to get it right. So we're very proud of what we do here, Pete. That's great. Yeah, I mean, again, the partnership has been incredible over the last few years, um, and, and not to mention... Um, you know, Firehouse Expo is one, but just having been to the facility for some of the training programs. And I know once uh, once the facilities reopen, we've got to get some of our newer editors down there. Um, you guys have been gracious enough to offer up uh, a couple of days for them to kind of get their hands um, into what's going on. Uh, so they better understand the fire Absolutely. service as well. So we appreciate that effort uh, being extended um, year after year. So thank you. Um, and, and, I promise this will be the last before we wrap up, but before we do wrap up here today, um, Director Mortensen, can you kind of tell us about the fire service and, and the military and the parallels that are there and maybe some of the things that you might have brought from your career uh, to the Institute and to the fire academy to, to, to kind of bridge that gap between the fire service and the military? Uh, I, th I think a lot of our readers would be really interested in hearing that, uh, the, you know, the discipline uh, the leadership and that, and that those types of topics, but can you just kind of enlighten us on some of the, you know, potential changes or um, similarities that you've found there? Uh, sure, absolutely, Pete. Appreciated it. You know, and and your what you're alluding to speaks to what brought me to what brought me to the fire service. Uh, you know, before my initial understanding of what the institute did, I mean, I came out here for our annual fire college when I was a when I was a colonel, and my, the previous director of the institute was also a retired Marine colonel. So I, I knew a little bit, but it was purely um, very rudimentary. And, and then, But then as I got the opportunity to, to become part of it, it really boils down to a couple things, honest to God. And I know the fire service has 
has in its birth or at its at its beginning the connection to the military coming out of the Civil War and things like that, the military-like uniforms, the you know companies, battalions, divisions. Sounds a little military to me. I'm just going out on a limb here, um, but sure, there's that there's that uh, nexus, if you will. But that would have never lasted had had the fire service not had at its core the same the same priorities, the same challenges that face the fire service uh, on the incident scene. And that is, hey, you know what? You've got you to be committed to something bigger and more important than yourself. Uh, it really is about selfless service to others. Now, I'm not so naive as to not understand that there are jaded, miserable people in the fire service, just like there's jaded and miserable people in the military. But at its core and at its heart, the fire service is the same kind of selfless endeavor. So I think I think that connection is extraordinarily important, and what and what feeds the the desire to have the nexus between the two professionals professions, if you will. The the, the next thing that that is the absolute connection is the the importance of teamwork. You know, you you don't have to be, you know, take firefighting 101 to understand that. Success or failure on the incident scene, whether it's an auto accident or a fully involved structure or a hazmat uh, spill, whatever it is, is it requires teamwork to be done at every single level, internal to responding companies, between responding companies, between, between leadership elements of command and control, if you will, uh, at the battalion chief level on, an inc- on a larger incident scene. If there is no teamwork, there will be no success. Um, that is part and parcel to my 30 years in the Marine Corps and, the mil- and, and at the essence of the military. Success on the battlefield and or anywhere requires people to work together because individuals cannot do it alone. There's a lot of professions that can be done alone and be very successful. Firefighting and being a successful Marine are not one of those professions. The third thing that I would argue is a tremendous connection between the two professions, that is the requirement, if you will, to be able to problem solve um, in, a, in, a, in a rapid changing environment. You know, many of your listeners are going to will know the difference between, uh, you know, uh, something being complicated and something being complex. Um, the fire ground, the incident scene um, is tremendously complex. Um, uh, you know, fire has a mind of its own. Um, the battlefield is an extremely complex environment. Things you know are going to happen often don't. Every, every, uh, everything in your soul may tell you to go left in a hallway, but you choose to go right. Why did that happen? What was the intuition you had? Um, you can look at an incident scene as a, fire, as, a, as a firefighter or look at a situation in a military uh, combat environment and say, I know exactly what's going to happen. And you can be right, but you can also be wrong. And, and that complexity and, is, and being able to deal with that complexity and be able to problem solve in a dynamic changing environment is at the heart of success in both professions. Are there lousy commanders out there? Absolutely, in both professions. There are people that I wouldn't follow, you know, to a trough of water if I was thirsty. But when it's successful and when it's done right, the two professions thrive on that 
rapid fire changing environment to be and making decisions that you don't have 100% of the information you need, but you make a decision and you move out. And then you constantly problem solve. You constantly change what you're doing as the situation changes. Um, there aren't a lot of professions like that. Uh, you know, you can be a lawyer. It ain't like that. You can be a doctor, an accountant. Uh, things are much more predictive, if you will, in so many other professions. So those are the three things that I think really connect the, 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 the fire service and the military together. Um, that selflessness, that teamwork, and that ability uh, at its at its best to be able to be successful in complex, uncertain environments. Does that kind of get at it? Get at what we what you're thinking about, Pete? I, I think that's great. You know, you kind of summed it up there, where it's um, you know the continual problem solving. Uh, you know, as it continues to change, I think that's that's key. Um, no matter what it is, right? From from the situations you're dealing with on the fire ground to even you know COVID nineteen in the last two months. Um, you know, you, you hear departments talking about policies are changing every day. Uh, it's not because they want them to. It's not. It's not to give the firefighters something new to read. It's just the understanding of what what departments uh, are being faced with on a daily basis is changing. Um, while there has been uh, updates and changes to policies over the last you know 10 years or so in the fire service, um, COVID-19 was changing every single day. And you know, talking to folks who are on the front lines in New York and you know throughout the Northeast. Uh, what they were doing Monday uh, Monday morning uh, was completely different than what they were doing on Wednesday morning uh, when they came back into Absolutely. the station. So, so it's that was a, a different war to uh, to fight, and it sounds like some of it's under control at this point, which is good. Um, and then it's taking those lessons that they've learned, harness all that material, all the materials in, and then put together that plan for down the road uh, should we have that second phase. So, I, I like the way you wrapped that up, sir. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. Been a great, it's a bit, been a great experience here with you. Well, gentlemen, I, I appreciate both of you joining us today. Again, uh, today we were talking about the exposure reduction project from the state of Illinois. Uh, there will be a link to the uh, free training provided by IFSI on the website at firehouse.com slash podcast. You can find it there. Um, but a big thank you today to Director Royal Mortensen, as well as uh, Richard Kessler, both from the Illinois Fire Service Institute, for joining us today and, and giving us a little bit of insight into the program that they've been working on um, statewide, but with the goal to go nationwide. So gentlemen, thank you to both of you for joining us today. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Pete, for, us, Pete, for the opportunity. It's outstanding. Yeah, thank you. Much appreciated. Glad to be on. Scientific studies have proven that lighter weight and more flexible footwear isn't just about comfort, it's about safety. MSA's Globe Superflex boots are state of the science. With unprecedented flexibility and grip, plus athletic footwear construction, Superflex performs like a boot but feels like a sneaker. Globe, athletic gear for firefighters. Get the full story at msafire.com globe.